You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Week number 12 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Thank you all for supporting me these last couple of weeks. It's been great. Tell a friend. We're growing every week, and I really enjoy it. Happy 4th of July, America. Hope you're celebrating this country, and I hope you're celebrating the fact that you're progressive. Stick around to the end of this podcast. I'm going to tell you why it's important that we push back whenever conservatives say that you're a liberal, you don't love America. That's nonsense. We love this country. We fight for this country. We protest this president because we love this country. That is why we do it. That is why I do this podcast and my radio show. That's why I go on television. That's why I worked in the United States Senate. That's why I campaign, used to campaign anyway, for people who love this country and want to do everything it can to see it move forward. Don't let anybody tell you that because you're a progressive, You're not a patriot. David K. Johnston from DCReport.org is here today. All right, let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the secret ballot. Oath. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right. So where to begin? I I guess you all want me to start with the debates and what happened, who's up, who's down. All right, look, let me just cut to the chase. I don't want our nominee to be 78 years old. And there are two people leading the pack That will turn 80 within a year of becoming president of the United States. Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they have bad ideas. But I've had it. Now, um, Bernie didn't look as old as 
Joe did uh, on the second night of debates, the Thursday night debate last week. But he, you know, he didn't evolve at all since 2016. You know, one of my problems with Bernie is that he's got a lot of ideas, big ideas and no plans, and he's a bit jingoistic. And I thought he was as jingoistic after, you know, campaigning for four years to be president of the United States. You'd think he'd be a little bit more substantive, especially in a Democratic primary debate. Now, look, uh, you don't have to tell me that uh, jingos don't win general elections, but we're talking about a primary. You You are talking to educated voters in the Democratic Party who want to see plans. So you want to ask my opinion on who won these debates, I'll tell you who won these debates. Well, Kamala Harris clearly won both nights. Top person, I would be shocked if we don't see polls later this week that show her with a significant increase in her support. Number two for me was Elizabeth Warren. Uh, She obviously has plans. She comes across strong. Uh, I think that she's going to be around for a long time. But the big loser is Joe Biden. Uh, I don't know if he's going to recover from this. I, 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 I tweeted out that he was mortally wounded. I don't know that he's dead. You know, he had 38% on average in the average of polls going into the debates. But he clearly has some work to do. I, I did not like the way he handled some of these answers. I, I hated the way he handled these, you know, raise your hand questions. And can we like, can we make a, Packed here, America, that these stupid, everybody raise your hands. First of all, if there's 10 people, if there's so many people on the debate that the moderators think that raise your hand is a good thing, then we have too many people on the stage. And, and there, are new, there are debates coming up in September. They need to be narrowed down to, let's say, nine. And let me tell you who needs to go home. Marianne Williamson needs to go home. John Hickenlooper needs to go home and run for Senate. Same thing with Beto O'Rourke. Okay, Beto, sorry. Um, you, you didn't look great, uh, this week. Um, one of the commentators on, uh, on, uh, Bill Maher the other night was calling him youth pastor Beto, which I thought was, I thought was hilarious. I thought it was uh, a very fitting way to describe his approach. Uh, I'm, I'm done with Beto. He's not going to be president. He could beat Cornyn. He could win that Senate seat in Texas and he should go home and try to do it. Uh, I think we'll all support him with that. Same thing with you, uh, Hickenlooper. Anybody who knows me knows I love John Hickenlooper. I think that John Hickenlooper is the kind of guy who should be president. But John Hickenlooper is not going to be president. He did not break through in uh, the debate the other night. So he needs to he needs to kind of you know be gone as well. Yang, same thing with Mr. Yang. I thought uh, he had a great performance uh, in the three minutes he spoke. But, uh, you know, come on, you're not going to be president. Stop. We need to make room. We need to have a real debate about real people who have a real chance of being the Democratic nominee and actually winning the, uh, the presidency. Now, everybody says uh, Castro had a great, great night. And I, I do, too. I think he, he had a breakout night. We'll see how he does in the polls. But um, I don't know how he wins a general election. I just don't know. Um, I, I don't I don't see it. I see Kamala Harris winning a general election. I see Cory Booker competing in a general election. Let's get rid of uh, of, of uh, Congressman Ryan, the former congressman whose name I always forget with the red hair or he's bald. Not that I have anything against bald guys. You know that I'm bald as well. He's got to go. Um, I think Governor Inslee gets to stick around. I don't know about Senator Bennett. I mean, he had a good moment when he was talking about his family coming here as immigrants. I like that, but I just don't see a path for him 
to be president of the United States or win the Democratic nominee. I think if he won the nomination, he'd be a he'd be an excellent candidate. So we've got to winnow the field. Let's keep Biden around, assuming he's going to stick around. Let's keep Bernie around, even though I think neither one of them should be the nominee. Obviously, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. I like Cory Booker. I like what he's done. As I said before, I'd like to see uh, uh, Senator Inslee, excuse me, Governor Inslee stick around. I think de Blasio needs to go. I mean, I look, I don't know. Like, this is a podcast, right? Do you really want to hear me sit here and just, you know, whine about this debate? I, I mean, look, I don't know that it was the best image for us going forward, but I also don't think it matters at this point, right? I've heard a lot of people saying, oh my God, we've gone so far to the left. How are we going to ever get elected president? Shut up. Okay. We could nominate the most conservative person. Look, we can nominate the most conservative person in that field. We can nominate Joe Biden, who's been around for 45 years. President Trump's going to call him a socialist at some point during the election. And all of the people in his cult will repeat that he's a socialist, including cult members in the media. So get off this, you know, oh, we're too liberal nonsense. Nonsense. We have to have somebody who could prosecute President Trump, which is why watching that debate, Kamala Harris stood out to me. The way she took apart Joe Biden, and she took him apart, make no mistake, she cut him deep, a cut that I am not sure he will recover from America, but she cut him deep. Imagine her on the stage with Donald Trump. She would cut him deep. And I think that's what's needed. Somebody who could take it to this man. She has not let anyone down in a big spot, whether it be on the Senate Judiciary Committee, whether it be on her announcement speech, or whether it was on that stage on Thursday night. She did a great job. She's got what it takes to be our nominee. She might be the one. So let's see what happens. I'm not going to go through the whole list here and go down the line. I got a list of these people here. It's nonsense. Let's narrow it down to nine people. Let's decide as a party, do we want to have an 80-year-old or 78-year-old at the top of our ticket against another 78-year-old? I think the torch needs to be passed. That's the one thing that Ryan kept saying, or or, uh, one of them kept saying over and over, Ryan kept saying over and over again, the other guy, the congressman from California, who also needs to go, too young. Let's keep Buttigieg around. I think Buttigieg, while I do think he's too young, uh, he clearly knows how to win. And I know he had a rough week at home, but I don't think it matters. I thought he was great on the debate stage. He uh, And he also calls out that hypocrisy, man, the same way I like to do it. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, let me talk a little bit about the, everything else that's going on in the world. I, obviously, we didn't go to war. Thank God. President's overseas, thank God. It's always quieter when he's gone, right? It's like uh it's like when uh it's like when that wild kid at school goes on vacation. I don't want to say it's like when your parents are away, because clearly that's not the case. But it's like when that wild kid uh at school goes on vacation. So he's out of town for a few weeks. Good. I should say a few days. We could use the respite, right? It's just nonstop nonsense with this man. Nonstop nonsense. And by the way, that's the way it's been his entire life. J- David 
K. Johnston's joining me in a few minutes. You guys know who David K. Johnston is. He's been following this president for a long time. DCReports.org, you can see him on Raw Story, his stuff. He's always on MSNBC. I was really fortunate to get him to come on uh, the show. So uh, uh, I think you're going to like this interview coming up in a few minutes. But I just find it odd that the cult just stands by their man no matter what. Uh, the failure at the border is is just chilling. What we've seen this week, the, the images of that child dying in the river, the child and the father dying in the river are etched in my brain. And we've got evangelical people running around saying, oh, it was their fault. It's not Trump's fault. I'm sorry, America. We've got to do better. We've got children living in squalor, in cages, at camps set up by this president. We've allowed ourselves to be distracted by what we call them. That's not the case, America. That is not the case. We shouldn't be distracted by what we call them. We should be focused on what's going on there and ask ourselves the question, is this us? This is the kind of stuff that if it was happening in other countries, we would send monitors in to make sure the situation was corrected. And we have a president right now that's saying, oh, I'm doing a better job than Obama. That's a lie. And our media never calls him out on it when he says it. Chuck Todd, like Chuck Todd moderating these debates. I'm sorry. I think I'm done with Chuck Todd. I think I'm done with Chuck Todd. I don't think Chuck Todd is a serious journalist. I really miss Tim Russert. I, you know, I, I say this a lot. And some of you who are listening to this podcast who are a little bit younger, you probably don't remember who Tim Russert was, but he hosted Meet the Press for many, many years. And he was just this middle of the road guy who could talk to people on the left and the right and who America trusted. And I don't know, I feel that Chuck Todd's a little comical. I thought his performance at the debate sealed it for me. I will not be watching Meet the Press tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to watch Fox News Sunday. It's got a little bit of a conservative bent. I, I always watch this week. And I always watch Jake Tapper, frankly. And I used to always watch Meet the Press. It was my favorite of all of the Sunday shows. But I've had it with Chuck Todd. I don't know. I just He, he irks me. I used to like him. I, I remember when I worked in the Senate, he used to send the facts around, the Daily Rundown facts. And then it became an email. And then he got the morning show on MSNBC. And then he got the five o'clock show on MSNBC. And, you know, and then he got Meet the Press. And I enjoyed it for a while, but I don't know. I, I don't know if he's just in a rating struggle. I don't know what his deal is, but he is rubbing me the wrong way. They should have just let Rachel Maddow handle those interviews or, or somebody else. Chris, you know, uh, what's his name? Not Chris Hayes. Chris Matthews. It's, you know, enough. Enough with this. Well, they should have just let the... The anchors from the nonpartisan news handle it. Because MSNBC, you know, look, it's to the left. That's fine. But it is what it is. And it's a democratic debate, so it's okay to have somebody from the left asking questions. But I, I, I'm just, I don't know about you. You tell me. Tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn, or shoot me an email. If you go to ChristopherHahn.com, you could contact me there, too. Uh, I want to know what you think. All right, one more thing to discuss before I go to the interview. Um, Monday night of last week, I was, or Tuesday night, I was on Fox News, and we were talking about Bernie and Elizabeth Warren's plan for ending student debt in America. Now, I am all for ending student debt 
I'm all for students not having debt going forward, but ending it right now might be an issue. My problem is, is that college costs too much and prices have been spiraling out of control for probably the last 20 or 30 years. Now, I said on TV on Tuesday night that I graduated from law school 20 years ago last week and I am still paying back my student loan from law school, which is true, 100% true. When I worked in the United States Senate, they had a program that paid a certain amount of, of money towards your student loan. I rolled my loan into a 30-year loan so that my payment that I was getting from the Senate covered my student loan payment. It was a, about $500 a month, which was a big deal for me back then. Well, here I am. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. I've gotten out of law school 20 years ago. I'm still paying my law school debt. Now, I choose to do that. Thank God I can still do it. Elizabeth Warren's program wouldn't help me because I make too much money. Thank God. Hallelujah. Got a lot of hate tweets saying, oh my God, you don't know anything about money. No, look, America, uh, I've got a very low interest student loan. Uh, It doesn't make any sense for me to pay it back at this point. The interest I pay on it every year is minimal. And why would I give up I think I still owe about $30,000, but you know, over the years, it was 80000 to start. Why would I give up a huge amount of capital to pay back something that's not costing me that much to carry? So you know, while I want to solve this student loan debt crisis in this country where people are coming out now with $100,000, $200,000 from undergraduate, which is ridiculous, America, send your kids to a state school. We have to get the cost of college under control. It's too, it shouldn't cost you $100,000 to get an undergraduate degree in America from a private college, let alone a state college. Some state colleges now are costing about $100,000 a year. It's ridiculous. This is the problem. And I think cheap debt has been part of the problem. So if Bernie Sanders wants to make debt free, it's only going to encourage colleges to make college more, more expensive. And that will continue to limit access to college and higher education because they could be more selective. They could have fewer people go to college because they could charge more because debt is free. I want to see more people go to college for less money. And I don't want them coming out of college with $200,000 in student loan debt. That's ridiculous. I mean, I graduated law school with about $70,000, $75,000, in student loan debt. That's from law school. That's all my colleges combined. And now, I mean, you, people run that. You know, Georgetown is like $75,000 a year. Villanova, $75,000 a year. I know somebody who's sending their kid there with no scholarship, $75,000 a year for a bachelor's degree. It's ridiculous. $300,000, you buy a house in most parts of the country. You buy a house almost anywhere in the country for $300,000. Might not be the nicest house in the country, but you could buy a house almost anywhere for that kind of money. So it's not just about the debt, America. It's about the rising cost of education. And I'm waiting to see a plan that's going to deal with that from one of the candidates running for president right now. It's not just about debt. I hate debt. hate student debt. Yes, I'd like to get rid of it. But... But we got to do something about the cost so that more people have access to higher education in America. All right. So David K. Johnson's joining me on the other side of this break. Great guy, smart guy, been covering Donald Trump 
uh, for a real long time, has a lot of things to say about him. None of them good, America, other than the fact that he knows how to use the media. He points that out in his interview. Uh, he is not a fan of this president. Uh, and if you're not a fan of this president, stick around. You're going to love this interview. You'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Uh, you know him. You've seen him on television. David K. Johnston. He is the distinguished visiting lecturer at Syracuse Law School. And he is the editor and founder of DCReport.org. Check it out at DCReport.org and at DCReport on Twitter. David has been following this president closer than anyone uh, anyone I, I could really see. And he's been documenting this man's crimes for the last, I mean, even more than the last two years. David, thank you for joining me tonight. Yeah, thank you. It's been 31 years since I started covering Donald, which is longer than anybody else. <laughs> it, it is true, and and uh, and it, it is amazing to all of us in the New York area who have watched this man for the last 40 years. I mean, I'm 47. I've been watching him for the last 40 years. It is absolutely shocking to me that he's president of the United States. And for a guy like you, who's seen him you know, have his ups and downs over the last 30 years, uh, clearly it had to be a shock for you when he got elected president. Uh, yes, it was uh, very disturbing. Uh, when he announced, which was four years and a week ago, um, I dropped everything I was doing because I was concerned that he just might get the nomination. And then, of course, uh, he could get the presidency, though I thought that was an awful long shot. Yeah. I could not persuade my peers, my former colleagues at the New York Times and the L.A. Times and people I know at other big news organizations that you needed to take him seriously, and you needed to dig into his background. It was, oh, it's a vanity project. No, he's not serious. And I kept saying, no, he's serious right. this time. And, you know, he didn't get well covered. Uh, and uh, in, in New York, there was this terrible attitude among many journalists that, you know, well, we know he's a charlatan. And I go, yeah, you think people in the Midwest who only know his TV show think that? Right. They, they think he's that. this this heroic figure from The Apprentice. Right. And, and that's what he sold. And that's what got him elected. And, and and I don't think any of the stuff from New York ever really got covered during the campaign. And it and the bankruptcies, the the cheating of people who were just working men and women, uh, you know, just doing their job who he just didn't pay, well, never got or, covered. Or I just gave a talk to uh, an investigative reporters and editors, which I'm the former president of, and there are about sixty two hundred members of our organization. And I asked the audience two questions. I said, uh, how many of you know that Donald Trump twice had income tax fraud trials and lost them both? One hand went up in a room of four or 500 people. Wow. And I said, how many of you know that Donald was so deeply entangled with a mob associate, three-time convicted felon, major cocaine trafficker, that uh, it, 
it strongly points to Donald having been involved in the cocaine trafficking business because of things he did that are in the public record. Right. Nobody in the room except people who had read my books, and yet it's public record. It's out there in courthouses, in official documents, in letters that Trump wrote. And when I speak to religious groups, I ask Christians, you know, uh, how many of you think Donald Trump's a Christian? People raise their hand. I said, did you know that Donald Trump, in one of his books and in speeches that are videotaped, says that Christians are idiots, fools, and schmucks? Right. And that he says his life philosophy is a single word, revenge. Well, if there's anything rejected in the New Testament, it is revenge. Oh, absolutely. Turn the other cheek in the New Testament, right? right? On on the campaign trail, Trump said he believes in an eye for an eye without understanding that that is a a comment in the Old Testament about about proportionality. Somebody puts out your eye, you don't kill their whole family. Right, right. And and people do not know who he is. Uh, I continue to meet people who uh, or, or they'll email me, who believe that he is the greatest president of all time. Unbelievable. My favorite came not long after he was elected. For A woman in Indiana wrote to me and said, Mr. Johnston, I don't understand why you keep attacking our president now that we finally have a fine Christian family man of integrity. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, every single one of those things is just I'm, untrue. I, I mean, could you imagine if Barack Obama had five kids with three different wives? Uh, you'd think that they would call him a fine Christian? I, I, right. Well, I in fact, Obama had a joke he told once at the uh, uh, gridiron dinner for journalists, something I would never go to in Washington, D.C., where he said, you know, I've been accused of being a black man um, with children in wedlock. Right. Right. Unreal. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely unreal. And a lot of Donald's support comes from people who will look at you and say, I'm not a racist. Why would you think I'm a racist? And then they'll praise his racist policy. Yes. Yes. Because he is very good for, you know, exposing how you know the deep divisions in our society and how we have never resolved the issues of the civil war i you know here's the thing about the president well let me just go back to the media comment you meant you 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 made because that's the thing that that gets me the most i feel like the media created him and then the media usually it destroys things it creates and and this president has seemed to gotten a free pass even when there's a large expose like the new york times has done too exposés on his financial dealings and the money he got from his father and other things, but it just fizzles out. It goes nowhere. um, Donald, one of the things I admire Donald about, and I actually do admire him about some things, is he has an absolute mastery and understanding of the conventions of journalism and how to use those. Uh, Journalism is not set up to cover a politician who is a con artist. Right. Uh, you know, when it comes to money, hey, we've been real good at exposing politicians and corruption with money from the get-go. Um, we started back around the time of Gary Hart in the 1988 campaign, I think it was 88, uh, dealing with people who are corrupted by their zipper. You remember he said, yep. you know, if you, there were rumors he had girlfriends, and he said, oh, well, if you think that's the case, you know, just follow me. And so the Miami Herald followed him, and his girlfriend spent the night in his place while his wife was gone. And that was the end of his campaign. Right. Um, we don't really know how to cover people who are corrupt between their ears. Yeah, uh, people who are megalomaniacs, people who are liars, people who are—and I don't mean—I mean everybody lies, but I'm talking about liars on the scale of Donald Trump. People who are delusional, and Donald is delusional a fair amount of the time. You know, he, for example, claims to be the world's greatest expert, Chris, on 22 subjects. Huh. One of them, I am a world 
renowned expert on. I've lectured all over the world, and that's tax policy. Right. Donald said nobody in the history of the world knows more about taxes than Donald Trump. That would be the equivalent of my telling you, I am the world's greatest airplane designer, Aleutian, Boeing, McDonald. They <laughs> right. know nothing compared to me. Uh, uh, Chris, what's a wing? I know. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, that song "Bad to the Bone" comes to mind when I when mm-hmm. I hear you said the guy is bad to the bone. He is rotten to his core. He is corrupt by his very nature. Right. And you're right; they're just not equipped to deal with somebody who is that corrupt. It's it is it's insane to me. And it's nice that I'm talking to a man who's a world renowned tax lecturer. You know, tax was the only class in law school I got an A plus in, and it was because I was afraid of the math I studied twice is hard for that class. <laughs> well, good for you. So. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, sure, Donald was involved with mobsters because he had to be in the real estate industry. That's not what happened. In uh, the late 70s and early 80s, the Lafracs and the Resnicks and other really big developers, Donald never was, despite his claim, he right. was the biggest developer. They went to the FBI and said, you have got to get these mafioso out of our pockets. You've got to get these corrupt unions, the Teamsters, the cement workers, the uh, uh, the demolition unions, out of our pockets. We cannot do business. Right. Donald ran the other direction. He He's... ran to the mob. He saw opportunity there to make money for himself. So when in 1983, when Trump Tower was being built, Trump Tower is a concrete building. It's not your traditional steel high-rise building. Right. There was a concrete strike. Every single project in New York stopped. You had guys coming to pour you a new driveway in Queens. Tough luck. There's no, they're not coming today. Except Trump Tower. Trump Tower. Yeah. And you know, and it isn't just those guys. Donald has been involved with Albanian mobsters, Russian mobsters, Georgias in the country mobsters, uh, Irish mobsters. I mean, all over the place. He is involved with organized crime elements. Who is his government? getting close to overseas, governments led by vicious, murderous dictators. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence that the uh, 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 the rounding up of wealthy people on the grounds of being tax cheats in Saudi Arabia, where they were held prisoner in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel and forced to turn over money to the government, came from the Trump White House and Jared Kushner by going through intercepts we had of communication, Amazing. And financial transactions, and... This is this is a a, a a man who's the third generation head of a white collar crime family. That's amazing. Donald Trump's grandfather, and by the way, the family's not going to doesn't dispute what I'm about to tell you. Donald Trump's grandfather was a pimp. Hmm. He came to America when he was 16 years old by fleeing the draft in Germany. He followed the advice of Horace Greeley, go west, young man, went to Seattle and Everett, Washington, and the Yukon Territory, where he ran whorehouses, even built a, a hotel for, quote-unquote, sporting ladies on property he didn't own. Wow. His father was such a huge cheat that uh, President Eisenhower was told that Fred Trump and some others, but he was the biggest one, were stealing money from programs to build housing for returning GIs. Now, if you're Dwight Eisenhower, who sent 9,000 young men to their death on the beach at Omaha, yeah. Omaha Beach in France, you are going to feel a grave responsibility about things like that. And he threw such a fit in the White House when he was told about this that more than 100 investigators were put on Fred Trump. Fred Trump goes before the Senate. He doesn't show up when he's supposed to, but he appears, and he goes, and I'm paraphrasing here, gentlemen, gentlemen, this is all a misunderstanding. I didn't. I didn't 
steal or take $4 million, about $36 million today's money. I didn't take $4 million. That, that money is sitting in the bank account. Where the heck else would you put the money you stole? <laughs> it's amazing. Apples don't fall far from the tree, do they, David? No, and and Donald, remember, uh, treated considered Roy Cohn, the notorious Roy Cohn, yeah. his second father. And you see what Roy Cohn taught him, and he did learn, never apologize, always go on the attack. Anyone in law enforcement who comes against you, they're corrupt, they're dishonest. Yep. He goes around calling Mueller and his team, uh, particularly Bob Mueller, you know, Democrats. Bob Mueller's a lifelong Republican. He calls them cowards. This yeah. guy was a valorous Marine combat yeah. officer in Vietnam. But I meet people all the time who say that. In fact, uh, Fox and Friends, the other morning, it's on my Twitter feed, David C-A-Y-J, they were saying, well, you know, Mueller needs to study up because he needs to know what's in the Mueller report. Wow. They, you, they, unlike the president who doesn't study up, I'm pretty sure Mueller knows every single word in that report, which is why it yes. took so long to come up. I'm actually, you know, that was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, Mueller is coming to the House of Representatives in two weeks. Uh, I expect him to say exactly what's in that report. The question is, how will America react? Because it's one thing to have to read it, and you and I have read it, and a lot of other right. people have read it, but most of Americans, most Americans have not read it. So I'm happy he's coming. And I wonder if the if if he'll be asked to respond and if he will respond to some of the things the president is alleging about his investigation. I doubt he's going to take the bait on those or he's, he will come up with a stock answer like, you know, we followed the law. The problem with Mueller's report is it's it's not written to in to do anything more than lay out facts. Here are a bunch of facts. It doesn't tell a story. It, it, and, and, you know, you're, you're in law school. One of the things you learn if you're going to be a litigator is whoever educates the jury wins. Yeah. You have to have a story. I have seen prosecutors blow absolutely solid cases that I've sat through because they say, and now uh, the defendant over here violated section da-da-da-da-da, subpoint so-and-so. And you're like, what the heck is that? Yeah. It doesn't even say what it's about. And, that's, and when Mueller made his eight- or nine-minute statement, you know, I teach it. I'm not a lawyer, but I've taught for many years at, at a law school. I, I understood exactly what he's saying, but I, I don't even think my students would have grasped this. And I was teaching 3L yeah. for a long time, yeah, because he he was not doing you know prosecuting a case. He was laying out a bunch of facts. I think that's very unfortunate. It is think- unfortunate. Why do you think he did? Like, why do you think he punted on this moment? Like, this was a time where America needed a guy like him who would come forward and say, here's what I saw, and here's what should be done. And he didn't. I I don't know. I mean, I've never met Mueller. I just know his reputation as being an absolute straight arrow Boy Scout his entire life. Right. Uh, There are a couple of people who have written good profiles of him. But the other problem with hearings is going to be that, unfortunately, members of Congress often preen instead of asking smart questions. Yeah. It's been really good to see Katie Porter, Porter, who's a was a professor at UC Irvine in Southern California, and Professor Katie Hill, who was a professor at some other law school, and and uh, uh, Miss uh, uh, um, Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, they've Alexander actually Ocasio-Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez has done. I I have actually said on numerous occasions, David, because I was a prosecutor for a little while, that they should actually lay out a case, lay out a book of questions, and they should just go in order in the questions, whatever. Time, yeah, whatever I, question I you get to. That. You're not going to have the staff lawyers ask the questions. The Congress, members of Congress in each party should get together with how they're going to go after this. And 
ask the question. Don't preen. Don't tell, I mean, journalists right. do this too all the time. You know, they they go through this long. You know, to show how smart they are instead right. of just asking the right questions and framing them well. Well framed questions are critical in in all kinds of interviewing: police detectives, journalists, and legal proceedings and congressional hearings. Yeah, I hope that they they come together and they you know put their egos aside. And they they realize that this is a moment in the country where we actually have to tell a story about the president's corruption, just like you just said, and that they have the opportunity to in my house in Rochester at the idea of politicians laying their egos. I know, I know, I know. But, you know, I mean, you know, I know I know Jerry Nadler. uh, I know he's a, a man who wants to do the right thing. Yes. And he has to lead his committee now and say, look, here is the question book. You don't get your opening statement. You don't need it. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear you. Five minutes. Let's just go in order of these questions and let's ask this man and let's get him to start telling a story and let's create a narrative that is going to convince the American people that this man, this president needs to be investigated, needs to be impeached. They've got to get the American people on their side. Otherwise, you know, this is going nowhere. Well, I I, I agree with you about that. And and, um, uh, even if Mitch McConnell won't even hold a trial, they need to make the case to the American public. You know, when Watergate began... Uh, the stories didn't run in most newspapers of the Washington Post. The right. LA Times actually was ahead of everybody. And nobody remembers that about this. Uh, but the stories where they did run, like the San Jose Mercury, where I was a reporter back then, they ran inside the paper. And yet by the time Nixon left, every single member of the House and Senate was prepared to remove him. There was yeah. a single defender left. Yeah. And um, Mitch McConnell can be left there standing in the wind and unable to get another term because he's up in 2020. Right. Um, but you can't just go and in, impeach the man because the public doesn't understand and isn't behind him. Right. And it's very important. In, if there's an impeachment inquiry, you're going to see it prosecuted, I suspect, not by Jerry Nadler, but by Adam Schiff. The last three impeachments, uh, Barbara Rodnofsky has a very good short book called A Citizen's Guide to Impeachment. Three impeachments ago, Lindsey Graham went after Bill Clinton, and he did a terrible job just on a text. Horrible. Level, badly framed arguments, badly made points, and he, he lost. The next two impeachments were federal judges, and there have only been 18 impeachments, almost all of them federal judges. Right. Adam Schiff, who Lawrence Tribe at Harvard has described as one of the two best students he ever had in his life, um, uh, he uh, wrote the articles of impeachment. They are streamlined. They are focused. Uh, he prosecuted the cases. Both federal judges were removed, and one of them had never committed a crime. He called himself the Emperor of Galveston, huh. and he was forcing various women in the courthouse who were dependent on their job and the federal government and their benefits for various reasons to su- provide him with sexual services on demand. Wow. And Well, that's a crime. <laughs> and Schiff got the Senate to convict this guy, even though he had not, well, he was never charged with, with, a, with a criminal offense. Got it. And and the guy eventually resigned so that he wouldn't, his family would not lose, because he, he did go to prison ultimately, would not lose his benefits. Right. Wow. Wow. That's amazing, David. All right. I have about a minute left with you. Yep. Uh, this has gone by way too quickly. I really do appreciate it. David K. Johnston, uh, you got to check out his stuff, uh, dcreport.org. Uh, fantastic place to find it. You also see some of his stuff on Raw Story. Uh, what do you think people need to know, you know, for the next you know, month ahead here as we head down this road where Mueller's coming and there'll be other talks of impeachment. Donald 
doesn't literally doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what's in the Constitution. He thought the courts could stop an impeachment proceeding, for right. example, which they have no role in. And so he's going to be more and more erratic in his behavior. He's much more erratic now than he was. Don't normalize his behavior. It is not normal to separate little children from their parents. No. It is not normal to go around threatening to kill 80 million people in Iran and 25 million people in North Korea, which is he's done. Talked about annihilating people. Uh, don't normalize his behavior and pay attention to the fact that he said he was going to get us the best people. Look at the yeah. people around him. They are the worst. It is a, a, a profile in incompetence. I, yeah. It is amazing. You got incompetence coupled with cruelty. It's a, it is a disgrace what's going on in this country, the, in these agencies. And he should be impeached just on that, in my opinion. At the, end, at the end of the day, Donald is about one thing. He's about Donald. He would literally throw his wife and children under the bus if it will save his neck. And... Always keep that in mind. Donald, he doesn't have a political philosophy. Donald told me years ago he believed in universal health care with no out-of-pocket right. costs. Now he calls it socialism. He told he, he said that in 2015. He David. say and do anything You're the best. to advance himself. That's the and, way. That is absolutely right. David K. Johnston, check him out, dcreport.org. David, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. All right, that's my interview with David K. Johnston. I mean, I'm telling you. Go to dcreport.org, go to rawstory.com, read his stuff. Guy has had his eye on this man for a long time. He tried to warn us. We didn't listen. Stick around. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. So I think we'll have another consequential week, but I say that every week. It's 4th of July. We'll honor America president's going to make it about him because that's what he does um the women's national soccer team is uh barreling their way towards another world cup uh big shout out to megan rapino this week who not only stood up to the president but scoring all the goals that are propelling this team forward and it's a great team so great for her good honor love it when somebody stands up to the president and then performs She's been doing great. I hope you're watching the Women's World Cup. I have a daughter who is a soccer player, and we have been watching every minute of it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, wish they would play the games on Saturdays, you know? It seems like the women, the U.S. women's team play during the week. So, um, look, everybody enjoy their 4th of July. If you see a veteran, thank them. Welcome them home. I love this country. I hope you love this country. Uh, just because we challenge the president doesn't mean we're not patriotic. And this is one of the things I've got to say to all my liberal friends out there. You know, just because you're progressive doesn't mean you're not a patriot. The two things are not mutually exclusive. I love America. I love this country. There's no place I'd rather be, no place I'd rather live. I think that this president, on the other hand, doesn't love this country. He loves himself. He fights for himself and not America. And we've got to point that out every single day. So when you're at your backyard barbecue this week and your conservative cousin or friend or neighbor is trying to point out that people who push back against the status quo in this country are not patriots, you got to remind them that this is July 4th. We celebrate the revolution where this country revolted against Great Britain. 
and they stood up for things. And one of the things they stood up for is the freedom of speech, the freedom to disagree, the freedom to protest, the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that you're not a patriot. Now, I got to remind you right now to seek the truth, America. Question everyone and everything. Seek the truth. Question everyone, even me. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look hard enough. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.